0: to the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Today on the show is the beloved Dr. Murray Murdoch, Distinguished Professor of History and Government. He started as a faculty member 55 years ago. He is a strong advocate for biblical integration, and his love for Cedarville and the Lord is evident in all he says and does. Enjoy this sweet conversation with your host, Mark Weinstein.
1: Thank you, Sarah, for that introduction. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories Podcast. In the history of Cedarville University, no person has worked longer at the university, to my knowledge, than my guest today. He is Dr. Murray Murdoch, currently in his 55th year as a faculty member at Cedarville University, teaching in the in the Department of History and Government. Murray, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the program, and I thank you for being a trailblazer for truth and excellence at Cedarville University
0: thank you mark you're very kind
1: on january 22nd 2020 uh dr murdoch joined me on the podcast and we talked a lot about his passion for civil rights and biblical authority we may touch on some of that today but for the sake of the program today i want to continue that conversation but yet dive into some other topics and so for starters uh, murray you joined the faculty 55 years ago after you earned your doctor degree from Northwestern University how has the university changed during those 55 years
0: well, i think the most remarkable change of course is size when i came here there were 6 to 700 students uh, we had chapel and alfred auditorium i remember very graphically how the faculty used to sit on the platform in alfred when as we got larger and got more crowded and uh one faculty member in particular wore sunglasses so that so nobody could see him if he dozed off. But uh, as the faculty sat on the stage, everybody everybody had, all the students had an opportunity to witness faculty uh, attention to the speaker. <laughs> and uh, and uh, at that point in time, Alfred Auditorium was a chapel, what is now the Graduate School Building, was the radio station and the ma- uh, mailboxes, post office. Uh, what is now Tyler was the gymnasium and the food service center. So from a physical standpoint, the changes in campus have been extremely, extremely great. Um, the lake wasn't here. And none of the buildings north of the lake were here, except for, except for Maddox Hall was here. But that, that was a brand new building then. And uh, so the physical changes are immense. But fortunately, the spiritual changes haven't occurred. We've stayed consistent to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ.
1: That's right. So let's go back to um, some of the changes. So um, I'm interested in knowing, like, when did the lake appear and how did that all happen?
0: I'm not exactly sure what year it was that the lake appeared, but when we began building uh, units on north of the north of Maddox Hall uh, we built uh, we built the new gymnasium and uh, and student center and all those buildings it was it was probably 10 or 15 years after I got here that the lake came into being and i I remember in the early days being thrown in that lake on several occasions after tennis tournaments and it wasn't a terribly present experience to be honest with you but uh, they had to shine me out there pretty good to get away from the, the rocks and the stones and things like that. But that became the centerpiece of campus as, as we kind of expanded around that that lake. And it was, uh, it's a very attractive lake, and it's very fulfilling to see the way they built the campus around the lake. But the Jim Student Center was one of the first buildings out there, as I recall. And some of the dormitories, student union, and the chapel, of course, I remember when we we moved to the first chapel, which is now Apple. I remember carrying books from uh, down to the Carnegie Library, and we would um, Alberta Chafee had numbered the books very carefully, and we actually transported those books by the harm load with the whole student body and the faculty carrying books up and having them put picked up and and uh, in the the old building and carried to the new building and taken from us and put on the shelves. Really remarkable piece of organization.
1: So that, just for reference, that Carnegie Library that you referenced, that's downtown in the village of Cedarville, right? That's right. Now, didn't that same process happen uh, when we moved in the Centennial Library? Were you dealing with that?
0: Yes, I believe it did.
1: We talk about a lot of change, and, and you've already alluded to the main aspect where we haven't changed, but h- how is Cedarville remain the same for 55 years.
0: Well, and from my perspective, I think that is a great credit to the trustees. You know, in a technical sense, Mark, the trustees own Cedarville College. They They are responsible for it. They're responsible for what is taught. They're responsible for how it is taught. They're responsible for putting together the administrative team and the faculty. Every faculty member is interviewed by the trustees, and they're interviewed Not only in terms of their own discipline, their commitment to Christian education, but in their commitment to our doctrinal statement. And I think that commitment by the trustees to, shall we say, approving every faculty member is very vital. A faculty member to come to Cedarville goes through a series of levels of approval. First, there's the department chair who represents the department. And then there's the academic vice president who represents the entire academic division then there's the president. And after he goes through that process, he's presented, if he passes all those stages, he's presented to the trustees. And he is, again, questioned on terms of his faith and his doctrine and all those sorts of things, his or her, I should say. And uh, so I think that the real essence of Cedarville University is a trustee board, which is self-perpetuating, which means that they elect new people of their own ilk so before a trustee is elected to that board he has to prove same thing a faculty member has to prove his commitment to orthodoxy and his commitment to our doctrinal statement and his commitment to the course of christian education and i think i think it's a great credit to our trustees not only for for the expansion of the campus but for maintaining the doctrinal purity of the
1: campus yeah it's a vital uh, it's a vital aspect that, that allows for consistency and oneness in heart and mind. And that's what that's one thing that sets Cedarville apart from a lot of colleges across our country. You are credited with establishing many programs and opportunities on campus, I'll say, uh, many of them which are still active today, including the important concept of biblical integration. I was told that's something that uh, you and Alan Monroe kind of really took a a passion for, and um, made that uh, part of the the fabric of Cedarville, even as we know it today. Why was it so important for you and Alan to tackle that project?
0: Well, I think think, uh, as time has proven, it's all about worldview. Uh, There's no such thing as a neutral fact. So all facts pass through the worldview of the person who's teaching. And I think that's the problem in secular education today. The worldview is so distorted. And it began in the 50s and it's affected the university so completely uh, in terms of a liberal socialistic pattern of education that's taking place. We're committed to biblical education. I remember when I became chairman, I replaced Dr. Cleveland McDonald, a former missionary who had a PhD in sociology. And uh, so he was retiring. So I had to find someone to teach sociology. And I uh, I looked hither and yon for a sociologist. Finally, I heard of a group in Minnesota that was meeting for an annual meeting. They called themselves Sociologists Teaching at Christian Schools. So I thought, I'll go there and I'll see if I can find a sociologist. And so they had a good bit of fun with me as a historian. They talked about uh, what's a historian doing at a conference of sociologists, and we bantered back and forth in a good spirit. And then finally, I said to them, Now, you guys have had some fun with me. Let me have a little fun with you. I said, why do you self- call yourselves sociologists teaching at Christian schools? Why don't you call yourselves Christian sociologists? The guy said, oh, it's the same thing. I said, no, it's not the same thing at all. And then we talked about worldview. And I remember it so distinctly because finally, in, in a bit of frustration, not to recognize the distinction between Christians teaching at a Christian school and Christian teachers, I, in a bit of frustration, the guy said, looked over at one of the men sitting quietly in the corner and said, Russ, do you know what this guy's talking about? And he said, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. And they said, well, why don't you do devotions this afternoon and tell the rest of us? And that man's name was Russ Hedendorf. Ironically, he had been the one who had taught Alan Monroe worldview at the old Shelton College. And he had just uh, retired and was starting a school down on the mountain somewhere where he was, uh, or I would have tried to hire him. But with that in mind, we found no one there. And the Lord led us to a guy who was getting a master's degree in sociology, who had been a pastor, and that was Dr. Robert Parr, who has been here, I believe he's been here close to 40 years now. And a wonderful man of God, a wonderful teacher, a wonderful worldview man. And uh, it's all a matter of perspective. I tell my students there's no such thing as a neutral fact. They all pass through this filter of our worldview.
1: And so you need to know what my worldview is. You are on the back side of your career. Obviously, you're a full-time professor right now. You're you're in the step-down process, so you you may teach another semester or two at the university before you officially retire. So at this point in your life, was it like for you to see your colleagues, whether it's in the history and in government department or doesn't matter what discipline they teach, but to see them integrating their faith in Jesus with their academic expertise?
0: It's a thrill It's an absolute thrill. None any of us understood worldview fully. I, mean, I know I've come a long way myself, but worldview I, I was one of three professors that did the first worldview lectures on our campus and I remember after my lecture they had a after my lecture, I was the third and they had a, a, a kind of a, um, opportunity for all of us to answer questions to the faculty And one of the, fir- the first question I got was, Murdoch, what do you expect us all to be theologians and the other two panelists started to grin and laugh and they because they knew exactly what I'd say. I said, absolutely. How can you be, how can you be a Christian teaching in a Christian school and not have a worldview that's Christ centered. And we began to talk about what, what, what doctrine do you leave out of a worldview. Do you leave out the doctrine of God, theology proper. No. Do you leave out Christology? Do you leave out Bibliology? There's none of that you can leave out. It's all It's all part of the warp and woof of who we are. Whether we're historians or scientists or Bible professors, it doesn't matter. We all have to be centered in the Word of God, and we all have to draw our worldview from the Word of God, or we're not Christian. It's Bible-based, and uh, other worldviews are very outspoken. And I think one of the big differences between Cedarville and the secular university today is we do give all perspectives our, our biologists teach evolution and they show what it is and then they show the problems with it and then they teach creation you don't find the professors in liberal schools teaching creation they don't give it the time of day but we get a full picture in whether it's in science or or wherever it is and the, and to me one of the greatest things i've seen a I remember talking to the nursing program about worldview when the nursing program first started. And it was, it's just so great to see nurses, physicians assistants, and now engineering. I talked to the engineering department when they were formative years and seeing what God has done through our engineering program. Pharmacy is the new program. And to hear our pharmacists talk, I've never spoken to them about it. But now everything we do is, is built on integration. It's a part of, our administrative process, which it wasn't in the old days. And so it's it's wonderful to see godly men and women being brought to Cedarville. I remember one of the greatest joys I've had these last few years is the opportunity to meet with the new professors for an hour in their orientation time. And it's just wonderful to see the people, the quality of people God is bringing to Cedarville today. It thrills my heart. I feel like I can die a happy man because I, I see Cedarville under a good biblical administrator like Dr. White, and I see the departments feeding on godly men and women who are giving their lives to Cedarville to serve Him.
1: I agree with part of your statement, Murray, about the great people who are here, but I don't agree with you that. You can die a happy man now. There's no no time to no reason to rush that. We want you to stick around because uh, you're a treasure uh, for all of us. Um, nowadays, working at a single location. For more than 10 years it seems really rare. Why did you stay at Cedarville for 55 plus?
0: Well, I think the biggest reason I stayed is I saw the integrity of our administrators, Dr. Jeremiah. I had one time when I faltered, and I think I told you about that in our last podcast. And uh, I considered leaving because I disagreed with the decision. Dr. Jeremiah was so godly and so honor- honorable in his way and he he didn't put any pressure on me. He supported me if I wanted to go to the school that I was looking at. And uh, I think the godliness of the men who've led in the president's office is one of the things that's kept me here because from an administrative standpoint, it's so vital to have your administrators on board with the mission of the college. I think that's a big reason. And I found support in the administration. I found They've been open to ideas and suggestions that we've made, and uh, and they're godly people. And I often say, where, where else can you go and teach the people you want to teach the things you want to teach them in, in a world Christian worldview?
1: As you just mentioned, you, you've worked with four presidents. You've worked under Dr. James T. Jeremiah, Dr. Paul Dixon, Dr. Bill Brown, and Dr. Thomas White. On the last podcast, I asked you how influential these leaders have been on your teaching career, and you gave a great answer. But today, I want to ask a different question, and probably a more difficult question for you, just knowing who you are, and that is, what is the value and assistance that you believe you provided them?
0: Uh, I'm not sure I provided them a whole lot, but I tried to provide them integrity I have, I have always felt free to express my heart to our presidents, recognizing that uh, they may not agree with me. And uh, as, I often, as I often tell my colleagues and, and, and administrators, one thing about my advice and recommendations is uh, you're under no obligation to take, to take it if you disagree with it. But they've always made me feel free to participate in the process and to make suggestions and to share my heart with them. And I appreciate that openness.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I want to transition a little bit away from what you've done and, and who you've influenced and talk about maybe the next phase in life for you. How much longer are you really planning on teaching at Cedarville?
0: Well, uh, at this point, I had some physical problems in the last year. And so at this point, uh, I'm prayerfully considering that I'm taking next semester off in the step-down program, as you mentioned, and I hope to be back next year, but that's something my wife and I will pray about and determine in the next few months. Uh, I don't have the strength I used to. My voice is a lot weaker than it used to be, and I, I'm, I'm fulfilling Psalm 90: The days of our years are three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be score years, as our strength, labor, and sorrow, where we are soon cut off, and. Uh, I'm in the labor and sorrow stage of life, I guess, but at the same time I rely on Psalm 91 because that's a great Psalm of eternity. And so I'm joyful, and I'm joyful in whatever God has for me. Uh, physically, I'm rather weak right now, but I'm anticipating getting away for a few months in the winter and hopefully restoring myself and getting a little more strength again. I'd love to be in the classroom because I miss the students. They're just a vital part of my life, but I miss the time with my family too. And uh, so it's a, it's a delicate balancing act. I've gone a lot further than a lot of people do, but, but I've had the support of my family in that and my wife. And uh, so now it's one step at a time, daily leading of the Lord as it's always been. But recognizing the end is near. is hard to come to grips with for a guy like me.
1: It's 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 hard to come to grips with any for anyone. I'm I'm sure that so how how much influence did your wife have on the decision for you to take next semester off and go down to Florida for a while?
0: Well, just having some time off to spend together is really important to both of us. She loves the ocean. She loves the water. As far as I'm concerned, I could sit there in the balcony of our condo and look at the water with her and have some real contented, peaceful time.
1: So what what city are you going to?
0: We're scheduled for Daytona for the month of January and early February, and then we'll be going over to the other side of the state to look at some properties for future reference.
1: You're hoping to stay down in Florida from the end of this month or January through, what, come back in April, May?
0: No, we'll come back in mid-February probably and miss a part of the winter, but our grandchildren are in Philadelphia. We want to spend some time out there as soon as this COVID lets up and lets us do that.
1: Do you have any fear about traveling uh, with COVID?
0: We have some reservations. Uh, our son is going to drive us, and uh, we're going to drive rather than walk through airports. Um, and we're still waiting for the doctors to give us their okay, because we'll we'll, we'll cancel before we go without their recommendation.
1: So uh, I, I wish you the best, and uh, I know you'll have a good time. Uh, make sure you wear sunscreen if you get out there in the sunshine. I want you to get sunburned.
0: Yeah, we'll be careful. <laughs> I'll give you a call if it's uh, if it's ten below zero up here and I'm in the seventies. I'll give you a call and say how you doing
1: I don't want to hear from you then <laughs> <laughs> no you you can call me any anytime, Murray as I move toward the near the end of the podcast you know i I, I want to hold it in reverence to your longevity and your wisdom. So with that as a backdrop, what advice would you give to your current faculty colleagues as you prepare to step away from teaching?
0: I think the best counsel I could give them would be stay true to the Word, be sure to teach uh, your kids how to teach them to think in a Christian manner on all the all the great disciplines of the academy, and uh, stay true to yourself. Do
1: you have any regrets from your time at Cedarville?
0: I don't think so. I think I. I think we all regret the things we could have done better. I've enjoyed Cedarville. I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed the team. I've enjoyed the department. I've enjoyed the faculty as a whole. My greatest regret is that the time's drawing to a close, and I regret that for a lot of reasons. But uh, it's been wonderful to teach Christian, godly kids, and I. I still get emails nearly every every week. From a former student asking about this or that, and or, or emails that talk about the success of a student, and it's just such a great privilege to be a part of Cedarville, a part of that because because of Cedarville's faithfulness to the Word of God, that's what makes it all worthwhile.
1: Yeah, as as a colleague, it's 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 a joy to have worked with you for for me the the last um, eleven years. By the time this this podcast airs. What, what is your greatest memory, Murray, during your time at Cedarville, or maybe your most memorable event that you can recall um, from your 55 years?
0: I think, I think uh, a story, and I'm not sure if I told it to you before or not, but I remember the day Tony Evans was speaking in chapel, and the lights went out, and the chapel, which was is in, was in Apple at that time, was engulfed in darkness. I remember Paul Dixon said, Tony, I don't know whether to have you speak or not. He said, I don't know how long this darkness is going to last. And Tony Evans said, "Well, oh, I came here to preach. Let me preach. And at that time, by that time, satellites at various places throughout the campus where the overflow of students went to chapel. I think there was one in Alford. There was one in the science building, as I recall. Like There were two or three at the satellites. When, when Tony preached, it was quiet in that place. But there was no light there was literally literally no light because if you remember the old chapel it was surrounded by a by a a, an exterior hallway and the light came in that hallway but the auditorium itself had no natural light whatsoever except through a couple small windows at the various entrances just before Tony Evans finished speaking the lights came on and there were students sitting on the platform sitting in the floor in the hallways and to, to see the Cedarville students that were left out of chapel because of their remote locations. And they'd all come into the chapel to hear Tony preach. And that was very moving and very inspiring and, uh, and a great credit to Tony
1: Evans, too. What, what do you hope, as you think about your career at Cedarville, the lives you've impacted, the classes you have taught, what do you hope your legacy will be uh, from your time at Cedarville University?
0: That one's easy. I just want to be known as someone who is faithful to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about.
1: How did you demonstrate that on a regular basis?
0: I guess by just trying to pour my life into the institution, into my students, into extracurricular activities with tennis and Alpha Chi. I still take great joy. And in... I, I, one of the ironies was when I got very sick in class one day, just at the end of class, it was at the end of an exam and. Uh, when they came, the, the squad came for me, and there were several young ladies on the squad. Well, we started the squad as an activity of Alpha Chi, which was a men's service organization. To see what's become today is a great joy to me. The day came when the school nurse, Betty Bershinger, came to me and said, Marie, we got a lot of gals that like to be in the squad, but they can't because it's Alpha Chi, a men's organization. So we turned, the, we turned that over to the nurse at that time, and now it's a part of the medical center. Things like that are great. I remember I have great memories of the Alpha Chi banquets at the time when the school was smaller. We all, all the organizations, two men's organizations, two women's organizations had all school banquets. I remember those and the opportunity to work with students in the service organization. One of my fondest memories of the service organization was after a banquet one night, we had a paraplegic that was in a wheelchair. He never belonged to anything and we became a part of Alpha Chi. And after we're cleaning up the gym and we're using those big brooms to sweep the floor, here he was with a broom in his, uh, sitting in his wheelchair with a broom while another member of the organization pushed him so he could be a part of it. And that that just said it all to me, that that kind of love and compassion for a, for a brother, making him feel a part of an organization that was tra- training and uh, educating kids to be service
1: oriented. Yeah. that's. That's one thing that uh, when I look at the, the campus community, whether that's a faculty member, a staff member or a student, there's a commitment to serve one another because in doing so, we're serving the Lord it's, 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 it encouraged me so much. Just, I can think of a time I was in Florida on vacation and I didn't know, I didn't know that my appendix had ruptured a week before I left for vacation, but it apparently did according to the doctor. And the short story is after checking into a hospital, my colleagues back here took care of a lot of things for me, not just my date, just not my work, but helping me get back to Ohio. And, just simple, basic things. That's what I think of Cedarville, is just a great heart and compassion for, for each other and mankind. And um, I think you hit it right on the head.
0: Yeah, it extends through the faculty and the staff and the, and the student body. And it's wonderful to see.
1: Maria, unfortunately our time is about up, but I have t- uh, time for one more question. And that is, what's the Lord teaching you right now?
0: Right now, the Lord's teaching me dependence on Him as I've never learned it before because my health has been really struggling for the last year and a half. And I've experienced the love of the student body and the help of my colleagues. Had to have valve replacement this winter in my heart. Um, Dr. Mack and Dr. Clark and Dr. Sims all stepped in and taught my classes and uh, filled in for me. And just to see the collegial relationship and the helping spirit of your colleagues when you do it. That's why I have to be pretty careful to be sure that I can deliver the goods before I come back for another semester, because I don't want to put that kind of strain on my friends and men that I love. But, um, been great.
1: Do you have any fear in, uh, exiting right now?
0: No, no, I don't have any fear. I, I, I feel the university is on a good setting. I feel we've got good leadership, good administrative leadership. I think, uh, we all have the same concerns with, Socialism expanding in our country and that sort of thing. And I think Christians could be in for a difficult time from time to time in the last days. I have no fear that Cedarville will remain faithful to its mission. As long as we keep our current trustees and keep our current administrative team, and those changes can be made. As long as we keep the trustees solid, as long as that self-perpetuating board remains true to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, we'll be fine regardless of what God brings into our experiences.
1: Murray, thank you for um, your years of service. I just cherish you as a friend and a colleague for the last 11 years. You like to pick on me, which I deserve. And I hope you have a great, refreshing time in Florida with your wife. Uh, Get back up here and see us um, whenever you can. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate you. a Great deal.
0: Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories Podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.